Good morning, vendors and non-vendors alike, and welcome to Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nick.com's Legend of Korra series. This week, post-traumatic stress awareness week in the Southern Water Tribe, ghostly visions of what may be a Rama spirit and cute, cute white spirit dogs. Korra may be alone, but you have our hosts, Matt, Dave, Devendra, and Joanna. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Republic City Dispatch. I'm Matt Patches, and uh, with me, as always, Devendra Hardawar. Hello, hello. Dave Gonzalez. Hello. And back from the Southern Water Tribe, after being all alone, Joanna Robinson. <laughs> Joanna all alone. <laughs> Joanna hello. Alone. But you're back. You're out of rehab, and you're walking again, so thanks for joining us. Yeah, you should see my sassy haircut that I gave myself with Ooh, a knife. New season. Ooh, new yeah. haircuts. New do. Um, I would like to see it. Anyway, we are going to talk about Cora Alone, the second episode of Book 4, Balance, today. Um, Dave, why don't you give us a quick rundown of what happened in this thing? <clears throat> After Cora battled here, she spent several months in the Southern Water Tribe trying to regain her strength, to no avail, until her mother suggests she visits Katara, who helps her with her physical therapy. Two years after the attack, Cora can walk and bend again, but still has PTSD freakouts with visions of Zaheer during her, like, sparring battles. She tells her parents she's finally headed to Republic City, but on the way she stops by an Earth Kingdom island where her avatar status is questioned, and she sees a vision of herself in the avatar state in still with Zaheer's chains in Republic City Bay, motivating her to turn around, get a new haircut and outfit, and go and find herself. Uh, Cora goes to the spirit tree to try to reconnect with her avatar spirit, but eventually follows her glowing-eyed doppelganger, to the Earth Kingdom cage match we saw last week. After finding a white spirit dog who leads her into the jungle swamp, Cora faces off against her trauma and loses, only to wake up in the swamp hideout of Toph. So many things happen to this, and it all sounds like poetry coming out of your mouth. The jungle uh, swamp. Actually, it's more like swamp. D&D, which we keep bringing up. <laughs> and I really want to play that Cora Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, man. Well, I wanna, when we talk about cool world-building D&D aspects, I want to make sure that we mention the flying dolphin fish, which is our new our new animal for this week. Yes, add that oh, it's so the, uh, pretty. Pokedex. Pretty moment. <laughs> yeah. Gotta catch them all now. Yeah. Uh, before we get too far into our conversation, I wanted to remind people that um, I don't know how you listen to this podcast. Maybe it's through SoundCloud on RepublicCityDispatch.com, or maybe you download it on iTunes or another podcast app. However you listen to it, help support the show by going on the website and leaving comments and reblogging and giving us your thoughts or uh, leave, leave a review on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast. Do whatever you can to help us out because we just want to get this show into the hands of other Cora fans who, after Coronation posted this, our, our premiere podcast last week, I saw people commenting, how, do, how did I never hear about this? <laughs> before and like how did you not hear about this before come on um so there are people out there who love this show who are not engaging with our fun conversations here so let's wrangle them uh guys let's i want to jump this is a tough episode to talk about because as dave mentioned we're all over the map it's not really linear storytelling it seems to Mm -hmm. work though it's this kind of like poetic jazzy interpretation of the events from the zaheer attack to now um but one thing is you know the keystone of this is that Cora seems to be battling Cora herself, which has been a theme over all four books. I would say um, now it's it's more it's literal, right? She's actually taking on herself. And Devendra, I thought of you. You watch Bleach, right? Yeah, yeah. A bit. Isn't, isn't I gave up aspect, before it got really dumb. There's but, an yeah. aspect of Bleach where like <laughs> people became so powerful that they their their internal power became 
uh, sure. re- real, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's you see that a lot in a lot of anime and other types of narratives. Nega. I mean, it's Nega, the Nega version. I think even uh, Scott Pilgrim did a fun job of making fun of that idea the very end of that book slash movie. So. Um, but I, I, I'm curious to you guys throwing it out there. Is this does this still feel like the same theme that we've been kind of digging into since book one? Is it is it breaching new territory by making Korra a literal like her mm-hmm. enemy is herself now? Is is that does that add more nuance to it? I, I mean, it's just more than herself, right? It is also the Avatar state. This uh, this Nega Korra we keep seeing is the you know Avatar enabled Korra. She has the white glowy eyes and everything, and uh, I feel like that's the tension we've seen throughout this entire series, right? She. You know, she's a very different character than Aang was. Uh, she was fated to be the Avatar, and I guess she was always raised with that idea. Um, but she just, it felt like she was fighting it more than Aang ever did. And this is just like the I don't know, the most physical representation of that. And it works so much better than when we saw her at war with herself in season right. two. Mm-hmm. The, the inner, like, petulance didn't play very well with audiences, but this externalized fight... Um, definitely will, I think. I, th- I think, I guess I'm a little confused as to whether it's the Rava spirit or whether it's the manifestation of Korra at mm-hmm. her lowest moment, which is with those chains on her, with the poison that won't allow her out of the Avatar state and, you know, sort of being beaten. So I understand that the spirits can see it, so it might be somehow Rava connected, but I guess there's also the possibility in my mind that it's not actually a core in the Avatar state, it's just Korra's mm-hmm. memory of her lowest point. That could be but, it. I mean, the the fact that the chains are there are very important, too. Yeah. Because that, that only happened briefly last season, but it's clearly something that sticks with her, I guess. Right. Being, like, it's, it's part of the attack, right? It's not just herself. It's mm-hmm. her being chained up by an assailant and this awful thing happening to her. And what's so interesting, and I love that they kept that, like, uh, that design has come back, because in the finale of book three, Korra in Avatar State with chains was so freaking cool. Uh, and now we still get to see her battling herself. Uh, a joyful design return. Um, the, yeah, the design of that character is amazing because we've all agreed that Cora looks great with her hair down like that. Um, <laughs> but additionally, they've got that great, terrifying posture, sort of like hunched over. I don't know if that's the the classic sort of nega look, but she just looks monstrous. It's Cora, but she just looks mm-hmm. so terrifying. It's yeah. great. Yeah, when it bends, it moves with like a weird zombie bending. So yeah. like I don't know, but it, she pivots on her torso in weird ways, like, like ringish ways. Oh, the nice. ring! I just yes. thought about the ring again. Oh, <laughs> I do think it's fascinating that that the spirit world can see her. That this isn't just some hallucination. This isn't a form of PTSD necessarily. Which I, I'm I'm glad because I feel like we have gone there. I think Cora suffered from some. PTSD flashback type things in book one when Amon attacked her for the first time. She was having these nightmares, waking up in cold sweats. Um, it happens again here, but this is something more because who knows? Why Why can we see the spirit? I don't really get it, and I don't know if it'll pay off or not, especially because at this big fight at the end, she she seems to be breaking branches and getting grappled by the chains and getting sucked into a pool of the, like, the mercury poison from last mm-hmm. season. It doesn't appear to be a hallucination, but is whatever explanation to come, is that going to be fulfilling thematically here? I don't know. Yes, have some faith. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I should, I should. But what does it mean, perhaps? Like, What does it mean? 
I feel like, yeah, everything we see here definitely means something. The fact that, yeah, this negative Negakora has the chains on. The fact that she's pulled into the pool of mercury poisoning. I, uh, I'm i really wondering what they're doing with the whole Rava aspect of the story. Like, is Rava itself, was, it, uh, was she poisoned? with the poison last season or did something did whatever happened to Korra you know affect Rava so deeply I don't know yeah one of the saddest lines is that little snail spirit going I don't sense any Rava spirit <laughs> around her <laughs> I'm like oh adorable wait Rava spirit you can sense it yeah she also has that mirage of Rava mm-hmm. in the desert which I don't think necessarily is connected to uh this this glowy eyes version of her yeah um, yeah but yeah, you know, it's it's seeing her as this kind of tortured war vet sitting in a bathtub. She has her uh, Beatrix kiddo moment. Mm-hmm. Wiggle your big toe. When, <laughs> uh, the, she is the bride in some ways. I mean, was this stuff yeah. working for you guys? Is this or does it feel like a retread again of, I don't know, have we seen Cora this low before or wh- wh- how is this different for her? I feel like you know, we've seen her low in many respects, right? In her relationships with others, in her relationship with her father, and with Tenzin. But I think this is a really interesting way to show her just physically at her low, too. Because we saw her at her most powerful last season. And this is the problem with most anime series, by the way. Like Bleach, right? Everybody just gets more powerful and powerful. Uh, Dragon Ball Z, they just get more hair. Uh, and after a certain <laughs> point, you kind of need to reset. You kind of need to take a step back. Or got less really- hair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of funny. But you do need to take a step back and just really figure out what do these things, what do these powers actually mean to these characters? Well, yeah. And, and also, yeah, how much of her identity is tied up in being the Avatar? And so, so she's... It, it was a great bit of comedy when she gets to um, that sort of fishing village situation and they're like, oh my god, the Avatar's here. And then they say, are you sure that you're the Avatar? And so it's this whole like yeah. concept of who is the avatar? Who is she? If she can't even stop a couple of purse snatchers, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, what does this mean for her identity? And I, I, I just think it's really strong what they're doing and, and manifesting her at her most powerful as her biggest enemy. Uh, it's just really, it's, it's, I think it's compelling. It reminds me of Bolin, you know, wanting to be a metal bender and kind of being emasculated by the fact that he can't muster up this power that he should have to be a true man, like save the day and these expectations. Do you feel like expectations are at play here? Is that what so are you saying Cora, eyes Cora is emasculated? Yeah, in a way. But uh, what, what does that mean for her? I mean, can... Uh, I guess just being a hero is. Are they challenging yeah. the idea? Is is Cora's fate to not be a hero, or what? It's like those episodes of Buffy where she just. I think that a couple yeah. of times she just loses her powers, and then all of a sudden, like, well, what's it's? It's very when you have this identity. But did they go being, away forever? I never watched Buffy. No, no, not as forever. We established. What? Oh. I've been shamed into. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't even with this. Anyway. Yeah, come on. Um, it happens occasionally, and sometimes they get like a little robot Buffy to help in and do things. Uh, but it's it's <laughs> Which a could happen with this technologically Cora. enhanced yeah, society. Robot Cora. We'll see what happens, but it is. Uh, I, I think it's always interesting when you explore somebody that's so powerful and so used to this idea of their power losing it. So it's not emasculation, technically. And it's something. No, else. no, no, exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's this is her self worth, and yeah. it's it's not that. You know, it's just because it's who she's always been, as you as you mentioned from the top. This is who she's always been trained to be, and so all of her identity, but yeah, more importantly, self worth. Like, who is she? What value? What can she contribute if she's not the avatar? And how much has she let everyone down? 
how much has she failed the entire kingdom mm-hmm. if it's Kuvira on the on the Snowpiercer and not <laughs> I listened to your guys' Kuvira episode Piercer, last week. I believe. The Kuvira <laughs> Piercer and not the Korra Piercer. Right, so. right. And she's the only avatar too that doesn't have the benefit of being able to talk to the whole lineage, right? She's lost right. that. So she is alone in pretty much every sense right now. Yeah, even when she meditates. Mm-hmm. She has, head. like, but it's it's must be fun for you guys to see, like, Katara and, you know, we'll get to Toph and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But to see... Oh, Toph. <laughs> to see Aang's, uh, on, um, like, friends are her, like, are helping her, too. Mm-hmm. So. Well, it's so interesting you bring that up because Katara is trying to will... Korra back onto her feet and back into the world and back to being the Avatar. Uh, and it's very sweet. It's very hopeful. She's a great leader. She's full of wisdom. Um, she does tell Korra at one point, you know, you think you have it bad. Uh, well, Aang, Aang woke up from a hundred years sleep and found his entire civilization obliterated. He was the <laughs> yeah. last airbender. <laughs> That's how the kids show opens. Amazing. But, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but does that is that a helpful piece of advice? I remember, you know, when we started talking about Korra in book one and book two, it was a lot about, like, what life was like in high school, what life was like transitioning to college. Do you feel like these expectations are, I don't know, parallels to that at all? And, like, hearing about, oh, our personal complaints about life, the right. hardest things in our lives, and then someone comes and tells you, well, you know, an entire civilization was decimated with the last uh, avatar, so maybe your life isn't yeah. so hard. Is, that's not, is that helpful? <laughs> I actually found that to be pretty crappy advice from Katari. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, Aang yeah. dealt with worse. You could you could man up. You could deal with this. I'm like, ah, this is not what she needs to hear but right now. it's true now. to life, right? People do sure. that. I mean, People that uh, weighs down on us. But that's something Toph would say, not Katari. It's funny that you mention... Um, like I think we have talked before about this season being Cora's high school season and this season being Cora's college season. Not to diminish the PTSD aspect, which is of course the the more pertinent uh, comparison, but is this Cora's like unemployment season? Like this, she doesn't yeah, have she's a full job. millennial right now. <laughs> this is her <laughs> yeah. girl season. Actually, yeah. yeah, exactly. That is not a bad comparison. I mean, <laughs> right? The millennial plight is we want to be the best people that we can possibly be. We, and we, we were told our be... whole lives right, that right, we're right. going to be very special. Oh, that's uh, that's a <laughs> very apt comparison we can't all be mark zuckerberg right some of us have to create stupid apps or i don't know uh, fart apps but know. maybe yeah maybe that's what core is all about this is the millennial stage and i don't i didn't find katara's wisdom to be that helpful in this particular instance because she, not at all she has yeah. so much going on and cora it's it's about individualism in some way. But that's so other generation. If you if you are a couch surfing unemployed millennial, as I have been in my life, you know, someone of the other generation is gonna be like, cool, it was much harder when I was on the job market. Like you guys <laughs> yeah. all complain like the job market wow. is the worst it's ever been. But You're blowing my mind, Joanna, because she's living at home. Yeah. She's couch surfing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and well, then and she goes traveling palace. around the world. She backpacks <laughs> yeah. around the world. She has backpack around the world, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, this is really blowing my mind. You know, I, I, one of my favorite moments in this episode was her kind of like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go on this spirit journey, uh, and and go to different parts of the world, which I really felt like it opened up the Avatar verse for the first time in Legend mm-hmm. of Korra, just seeing all these different places and finding no answers there and finding re- being really alone, right? And that's what all backpack trips are. People think they want to see the world and really they're just trying to escape. There's no answers there for them. Mm, they're um, really looking inwards, yeah. yeah. And, but, but there's also, I think, a Buddhism comparison there, these like great wanderers, these, uh-huh. and, and that's kind of what Toph went on to become, so maybe they'll find common ground there. But 
Korra hasn't reached enlightenment doing this great wandering, right? This is no. She is not that Buddhist figure. She's just trying to get back to like her base level of competence, you know, of like physical uh, capabilities and her mental state. Uh, It's been really interesting. By the way, you were talking about the fractured narrative before. I really loved how this episode was broken up. I just I love when stories try to do something a little different like this, especially something that takes uh, is trying to tell us what happened over years of time. And it's totally coherent. Uh huh. Why does it work? It's a, I mean, I, I kind of love when storytellers paint in broad strokes. So, you know, it's, it's a difference between like uh, Tolkien and like his uh, obsession with minutia and, uh, you know, a lot of other folks who I think could just like say, okay, they, she went on a journey, you know, she spent, she, uh, she was on a boat, she got a boat and she saw these flying fish. Uh, she explored a volcano at some point, there was a desert and you painted these broad ways. And I think they still, you can still learn a lot about what's going on about that character or about their journey. Joanna, you're the TV expert. Oh no. Why does this work? <laughs> <laughs> I also don't see Why? Many, I don't see many like hour long television shows playing with their own format the way uh-huh. Cora has. Well, Lost used to seasons. quite well, uh, quite a bit. Lost used to do this really, all the though? time because it was still yeah. like okay, season three is going to have flash forwards, and then season four is going to have. Well, they got they got a lot more they got a lot more creative like as Lost went on, but I'm also thinking of like Alias, like the the JJ Abrams shows in general have played with time and narrative in really interesting ways. Even Fringe, if that was barely him, but that del- did some cool stuff. I have. Uh, it works because there's just a very solid character through line. I think mm-hmm. we know Cora at this point. We understand the journey that she's on, and so it doesn't really matter if it's completely linear or not because we have that anchor with like throughout the, the hair whole thing, helps, right? And we know where we're coming back to because we had after all these years to show us like the rest of the world. Like if would, this right. episode would have been really frustrating if it just would have been like, oh, so you just get some letters. That's all you get of Team Avatar. Great. So it was well it was well placed. And then also, yeah, it doesn't take that much time. So like you get one little lyrical episode to talk about Cora's state of mind, and at the end you get tough, and which means we're gonna kick off something, but something new and interesting, and just we needed one episode to see what took Cora so long to get back on her feet, right. literally. I, I feel like I never see television shows that seem to have great relationships with their surrounding episodes. Does that make sense? That, I mean, this this is the yang to the premieres ying. Uh, that all this setup about the characters, we know that Mako and Bolin and Asami are living their lives and they have a lot going on. And it's not crazy to them that Korra would go away for three years. No, you know, I think Devendra's right that Lost did do this. Uh, I Where think two episodes w- seem to be like entangled yeah. in one another. Mm-hmm. I can't yeah. think of a specific example, but I'm pretty sure that we would see something from someone's perspective. I mean, just at, at the very least, the tail, like maybe not back to back, but like the mm-hmm. tail section part. Well, the whole of- opening of the show was all about like introducing these characters and their different, you know, uh, it, uh, the ways they experience the crash, right? Right. Yes. Yes. But yeah. And then a lots would just continue to do that. I feel like mm-hmm. just show us the same thing from different perspectives. Uh, you know, you get to get to know Ben and like his crew and what their perspective of the whole event has been. So, um, but back to back, I'm not sure I can think of a ready comparison. And also, I just think that a lot of shows don't have as much faith in their audience as Cora 
has shown mm-hmm, which is crazy. with this. Um, and and maybe that's why Cora has been pushed off the schedule and onto web. Like it's too beautiful and precious of a thing <laughs> for television, <laughs> you know, that other TV shows feel the need to just contain things to an episode or to keep their arcs more simplified. I don't know. I, one of my favorite scenes in the episode is this letter writing montage or Cora getting letters and then figuring out how to deal with this you know, people <laughs> looking for her and i don't know why she why do you think she can't respond i mean is she just so broken up is this expectations again like i'm i'm a failure i can't even be seen in the eyes of my friends i mean these people clearly love her they're reaching out to her asami's mm-hmm. like i wish i could just be there with you we're besties and n- nothing until she eventually responds to asami because she feels like Asami's the only one who can understand this plight, which is why, for all those people who read my recap out there, I went in this gender-specified direction, which I know you guys would contend with. But um, I I do feel that it's beyond just Asami and Korra's friendship if she's saying that you would Mm -hmm. be able to understand that. Yes, they might be close over the seasons and their their confidants, but why, why can she only communicate to Asami in this particular instance? Um, yeah there's a lot of ways to read this like this is a really interesting exploration of depression i think like that is that is it like this is this is like cora yeah going through the the lowest part of her mental state and her physical state asami is like her only you know cora doesn't have many friends like she has her core team she has the scooby gang but asami's the only other girl on her team and she she's her willow yeah yeah, exactly. Like always, that is bring it back structure. to Buffy. It's always <laughs> like Buffy. I don't, I don't get it. All right. Hey, nothing is stopping up. you, Matt. Nothing is stopping you. <laughs> it's like we're done. there. It's been there for Binge years watching. on Netflix. You know? <laughs> Come on. Um. Yeah. I. I don't know that it's gendered necessarily. It might be, but but I. I do agree with Devendra. Just I think we've seen the Asami friendship uh, with Cora built up. Yeah, like Mako is her ex and. Bolin is great and the best and my favorite, but yeah, if I were... Brightest, not the brightest no, one. Yeah. No, but like the most, probably the most emotionally nuanced is probably Asami. So if <laughs> right, I want to talk right. to someone about my emotions, I would go to Asami. If I want someone to do my hair for a depressing ceremony at the end of last season, I would go to Asami. Like, there, <laughs> everyone has their own skill set, you know? <laughs> I, I hope Asami puts that on her resume. If you're looking for a <laughs> hairstylist... Well, I mean, actually, I wouldn't because she put a really stupid cap on Cora and I hated it. But, you I know. can't believe you're, you're <laughs> recommending her. Her Yelp reviews are off. There's your Halloween costume. Yeah. <laughs> cap cap wheel, wheelchair Cora? No. <laughs> Something. Nega, is Nega Cora nothing? I, I, I couldn't help but kind of deviate into, into gender talk when I talk about Cora and Asami and this act of violence perpetrated by Zaheer and people are calling me crazy on RepublicCityDispatch.com which I totally understand because this is it's not all there perhaps this is my read <laughs> this is not I'm not claiming that that's in the text but we live in a, a world right now where violence towards women is is a growing problem and that women feel like they can only <sighs> you know, take solace with, with other women and other women understand them in a way that men don't. I don't know. It doesn't seem that far-fetched to me that that would kind of trickle into this show if we think that Cora is a modern feminist figure in some way. 
I don't think it's bad to have that interpretation. I don't think you're like a horrible person for thinking that. I think it's <laughs> a, a lovely interpretation, but I just don't agree with it. Um, <clears throat> Too heavy. I'd be, I'd be more inclined <laughs> to say this uh, indicates that Korn and Asami are soulmates and they belong together. Of course. It, yes. Yes. it always goes back to shipping. Uh, it, you know, what's more female empowering than lesbianism, really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Uh, so, so after Korra kind of jumps ship here, she she ends up going on a literal spirit journey because she winds up in the spirit world. Mm-hmm. And I think the episode takes this interesting turn towards the plot driven. Um, and I don't know if, having logged many hours watching the last three books of, of Korra, if any of this made more sense to people, why she would go... I, I'm confused exactly what her relationship to Rava is at this exact point, having been tethered in some way, or maybe something remains, and d- did you guys follow this precisely? I, there are a lot of opinions flying around out there on the internet, but I'm, I'm not sure I have a, a grasp on it. I think Cora doesn't know. Like Rava's gone, and she doesn't know where Rava is. Is yeah. is is Rava this like mirage out in the desert? Is Rava this Negacora? Is Rava somewhere hiding deep inside her, and she just needs to tap in to it? My question is, what is like? Because isn't Vatu inside her as well? Isn't that part of it? She or is like there no Vatu? Vatu inside yeah. of Rava? Well, they're always they're always they're sort always of together. So yeah. right. Vatu is part of this. So. I, I we're all we're talking a lot about Rava, and I know that that's where the Avatar sort of spirit comes from. But I'm wondering what Vatu is up to mm-hmm. if he's you know he externalized messing with Korra's head. Yeah, I, I feel yeah. like after season two, we never really saw much of how Korra relates with Rava and like the role Rava fits in her life, right? Right. So Except the, for the ending, really, with mm. the Red Lotus trying to destroy her in the Avatar state. I think right. Right. Some Rava notions out there oh yes hmm. but i'm yeah it's it's unclear so if people want to chime in on that point uh, i'd be interested to hear more theories but i don't think there's any i don't think anyone really knows but i am curious about like why this would manifest an evil cora in the first place and how that logically works and then how they can have a fight and she can get pulled into poison then all of a sudden be in toff's bedroom none of this makes sense but all of you <laughs> think it does because of the empire strikes back well, yeah, this is this is pure <laughs> Star Wars, guys. Like, How there's is just this so pure much Star going. Wars. Why did my mind not go here? I'm resistant. To well, Star I, Wars I, I find it funny, Matt, what your mind goes to rather than the very <laughs> obvious Star Wars parallel. Don't worry, there's Come plenty on. of negative reviews on iTunes complaining about me going to the real world instead of pop culture. I was it's looking a, for the Yoda backpack, but there was no Yoda backpack. I was yeah. looking for that too. She didn't do like I mean, a flip, a forward flip over any logs and true Jedi. There's style. just yeah, there's just so much here of like uh, Luke's journey to Dagobah, uh, yeah. Trying to discover himself, uh, coming to terms with his power and everything that happened in the first movie. It's not like he was at a low point, but he was definitely on a journey. And yeah, finding your mentor, uh, potential mentor in the swamp like this. There's there's a lot of uh, parallels, I'd say. And uh, I know it was, it was just really interesting. I felt that all throughout this whole thing. But what does that mean? Like, why she's been seeing the spirit? This is not Luke going down into the cave and seeing the face. Yeah, well, this is Luke going into the forest and finding Yoda. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just something. I'm not saying it means anything. First of all, I also have to say, like every you know every every bit of reference or whatever, it doesn't doesn't have to mean anything. It's just like that's kind of cute. It's almost like a reference to Star Wars as like this uh, classic story, or it's yeah, the yeah. 
It's a traditional swans. hero's narrative. If she know. found a ring, you would say, oh, it is. Yeah. It's Frodo. Okay. Um, but doesn't, <laughs> you don't need to I go like much deeper than that, I guess. Yeah. Um, these are tropes of, of you know, sci-fi fantasy folklore. And, uh, you know, we're at a point where Empire Strikes Back is there. Yeah. Uh, in our pop culture reference point, I my the more important question I think is how loudly did you guys squeal when uh, Toph revealed herself? Pretty loudly, although I do feel like last episode guys called it, called it. Well, it was in the. Did you not watch the trailer? I didn't watch the trailer. For this, oh, okay, okay. Uh, this episode. Yeah. I, it was uh, it was at the end of the trailer. Oh, uh, okay. So. Well, no, I I heard at the end of the season trailer she says Toph, but we didn't know when she was going to appear. So in the oh, last, right, right, right. In the last episode, it seemed pretty clear that that moment was actually right after Korra's opening fight. Uh, so I, I had a feeling it was going to be this episode. My, my Toph reveal squee did not out squee my squee for Lil Pear Pudgy. <laughs> Saw him. Well, also puppy. Yeah, the puppy. Oh my god! And then when he transformed, like first off, that dog reminded me of Snowy from Tintin. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, a puppy. And then later the episode, we see this. No, wait, yeah, because it's a flashback. So then Mm -hmm. we see little pudgy pear spirit, and I was like, oh my god, I want to give it a hug. And then we flash forward again to this puppy, and the puppy turns into the little pudgy pear pudgy. Oh, I lost my mind. It was so much. I love the design of the spirits, by the way, when she was meditating in the tree. Just like random things. Like there's one with like spinning wheels that's flying. It's just It really makes me feel like I'm doodling in my... They like 100% take acid before they come up with those. Whoa. No, in a good good way. In a creativity way. By acid, you mean just snorting Kool-Aid, right? Oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah, there you this go. might have to cut that out. I'm sure sorry. <laughs> I about the kids. I, um, I actually, since we talked about Lost, I often think of Lost whenever I think of that, that Dagobah scene or like going on one of these spirit journeys because mm-hmm. people who argue with me that Lost Walk makes about. no sense. Um, yeah. I always point to like Lost as a show to me felt like an extended version of the Luke sees his face in Darth Vader mask scene Mm -hmm. as if they're like being put into the cave when they arrive to the island and the entire show is about is like a hallucination that reflects their personality whoa Whoa. there was a lot of that for sure especially early on in Lost I think they lost that uh, later on well see people are like why would they go back to the real world or like back to the mainland if it was if they've been dead the whole time and it's because the whole thing is going into the cave (laughs) see Mm -hmm. I just needed to take I wanted to finally put that out in the world I've never written anything about it it's been really I I feel like I've seen that philosophize about Lost at some point yeah it's yeah there's a lot of that I'm late I'm late to it anyway um so Toph enters the scene what what is Toph going to do (laughs) I don't really get Toph Toph is going to be possibly bring to the table here honestly based on what why she left last season and like what she's all about and she's so pragmatic right like in Avatar Mm -hmm. the Last Airbender she's just like let's go knock some heads she's Uh, gonna get Cora off the couch gonna get Cora off the couch she's gonna uh-huh. throw cold water on her every morning and be like get up go find a job she's gonna be oh, like the dead mother from love. facts of life what's her yeah. name mrs. Garrett? mrs garrett no mrs garrett's way too nice no she's gonna be like i don't know who would she play, be played by yeah that's what like I, I want some i want some ideas maggie smith or something like that <laughs> you know oh. what i mean just like tough love suck it up maggie life smith has never played a part like that 
McGonagall? Uh, I believe you have not experienced enough of the Dowager Countess. I haven't. I've never watched that show. Uh, She's she's tough love. She's tough love, man. But Um, (laughs) Sorry. I I don't know how uh, Toph's philosophy will jive with Korra, or what Korra really needs to learn right now. Like, what well, maybe that's what Korra of? needs, because Katara, yeah, got her to walk, but her, like, loosey-goosey, I'm okay, you're okay, uh-huh. you know, spiritual sensibility is not ultimately, or maybe she needs both. This is the yin to the yang. Like, Katara got her halfway there, and Toph is going to get her the rest of the way there. That's interesting. Like that. So it's almost like you have to mix. Maybe maybe Korra's become too meditative in some way. Is but she can't even meditate, man. Well, she yeah. has to get out of her head, technically. Yeah. She needs to be more so. like herself. She needs to be, she needs to knock some heads. That's what she was doing it's, in book one. It's funny, Korra as a character and as the Avatar is, I think, far more relate, uh, far more similar to what Toph was than Aang ever was, right? Oh, sure. Like, yeah, so it'll be, this will be a fun journey, I think, between them. And I hope Toph sticks around, too, because I love Toph. It's interesting what, what book four's relationship is to book one, in a way. I mean, there's a direct reference to book one in this episode with the firebending mm-hmm. training scene. Um, it's the same music cue. They're in the same costumes. And that's the second scene of the show. Uh, her, like, training with a bunch of firebenders and kicking their butts. And here, of course, she's falling on her flat on her face. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if if somehow philosophically she needs to go back to being the hothead you know punchy lady that she was i I wouldn't be surprised if the season mirrors season one in a lot of ways you know just that's that's kind of how that's what i thought when when she was doing the like earth bending in the arena it reminded me so much of the pro bending from the first Mm. right right that's because we've been needing it in our lives we've been craving pro bending pro bending yeah for sure have to wait for that video enough of this politics business (laughs) (laughs) how dare i mention gender Let's Bring get back, back to smashing. Yeah, yeah. More smashing. Uh, just to round out this conversation, I am curious, and this is something I thought too, that I wonder what her relationship with Kuvira will really be. Um, and and what Kuvira is all about. Fascist, you know, I can't quite hungry. remember. I can't quite remember if you guys mentioned this in the podcast last week, but my theory about Kuvira is that she's hiring the bandits that are causing the problems. She's creating the problem so she can solve it, so she can amass more power. There are a lot of Tumblr theories mm-hmm. that use yeah. images and arrows, like yeah. it's freaking Watergate, I don't know, or some sort yeah, of oh, it's <laughs> but like conspiracy. But, it, but what's really disappointing for me in all of this is how Bolin can be so stupid, like, <laughs> to yeah. ally with her, yeah. like, Again. I mean, I like the scene where he was giving out apples and he's like, look, I'm helping the people. And I'm like, I get it. That's Bolin's motivation. I get right. it. But how can he be so blind and stupid After to be like being betrayed so many times? Yeah. yeah to be her like number two or, or maybe number three and like be that close to the center of power and not see that it is corrupt because, because she has because got to be corrupt. Man. He just he's looking to help people. <laughs> Did you see and his letters? Like- they were crayon drawings. <laughs> 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 he is barely literate, apparently. And Opal's love like, letters. yeah, but well, like, I lo- yeah, like- I love the difference. <laughs> yes, and and Mako's adorably stilted letters, where he's like, I don't know how to do this, Forecast but I'm gonna weather. try. Yeah. I yeah. That was a reference to something. Has he done that before? Where he's like, the sky, it's clear, and the weather is nice. I I didn't know if that was a reference to something. I, I thought it was just I, like. The most awkward, right, right. awkward conversation is talking about the weather. He's so. not, yeah, he's not really a creative, you know. <laughs> that's, that's all Bolin. Bolin gets that. 
Mako gets expresses through colors. I I really also wonder how much of uh, the the uh, the bandits could be another Varric plot. Like where he's still around, he's still hanging around. Mm. Everybody's trusting him. Yeah, I would be Varric more suspicious of him. Band. Yeah, After all that would time. be fun. That'd be that weird. Would be awesome. That'd be no. That would be disappointing. We don't want Varric to like become mm. take the state. Like it's not. Spotlight. It's not even about being evil. It's just like it's good business. Opportunist. Yeah. yeah good business. He's a warmonger. Uh, he's yeah. a what's he called? Dick Cheney. Exactly. Uh, war I, profiteering is war prof- going and he's already we, he's already shown that he's done that quite a bit with the whole uh, ship thing in season two right yeah the whole, yeah like, exactly. yeah what he's yeah. selling to enable the war he was profiting from the war then now he gets to profit from the rebuilding of a country i guess my uh, my screen crush colleague kevin fitzpatrick got to interview brian and mike at new york comic-con this past oh, yeah. weekend um and he asked them I, I had I wanted to feed him many questions because I wish I could have done this interview myself. I kind of died a little inside. But um, <laughs> he asked them about magnet bending, and that that was put to rest. There was no magnet bending. Oh, it's just metal bend, bend yeah, and there yeah. are magnets, but they're yeah. not necessarily uh-huh. magnet bending. Are you we, sure we you want to you want to interview the creators? You wouldn't just be reduced to like, where can I get a pudgy pear? Pudgy pear spirit. <laughs> you sent me this picture during mid podcast. Joanna sends me a link to. Pudgy pear spirit, as a and and I'm I had to restrain myself. That's not fair. <laughs> not cool. Not cool. It's meant to brighten your day, my friend. Um, so yes, I don't know how Cora, Cora's growth kind of mixes with Kuvira's domination. How how much longer? Uh, so we've got eight episodes. This book is that right, or did what? I make that up? How many episodes? I don't know, but eight sounds like not enough. I, I uh, hope that's a lot. I feel like it's shorter than usual, but I might have made that up anyway. Because mm-hmm. maybe because Boardwalk Empire is eight this year. Okay, anyway. Um, but how long do we think? How much longer do you think Cora is going to be separated? Like, how much more training is she going to have to do before she comes back and kicks Kavir's bum and all of this? Like, how long is she with Toph? Well, How long? not really a bad guy yet, right? We need some sort of... Mm-hmm. She is! <laughs> she so is! Hey, She's no. so bad. Too. Fascists in the beginning are great. <laughs> well, it, I, I think it's going to represent some sort of... It's not just physically coming back and kicking Kavira's butt. Like, Cora, like, the whole problem, I think, with Kavira's rise is that there is no balance in the world. There is no, like, avatar to say, like, hey, by the way, maybe we shouldn't treat people this way. Maybe we should be a little more you know, communicative with this, uh, with the Earth Kingdom. Yeah, as we start to take over things. Maybe there's another way to deal with the bandits. Maybe we should get help out in other ways. Like, there are a lot of things that Cora hasn't been doing. So I think we'll see more politicking this season than anything else. Really? Yeah, do you think she'll have to wander and be like, follow me? Like, looking for allegiance and and being a She won't have, like, a fancy train, so she'll have, like, her Cora cart or something like that. It'll be sad and ramshackle. (laughs) I don't think any, like, fascist dictatorships have really been trounced before. They kind of dissipate, right, on their own right, failure. Right. When, so, the, when the public loses faith in, right. like, that. Right, so it'll be a big campaign. Right. Or I was go gonna, on the trail. We talked last season about what was going to happen when the queen was killed. Would Korra stay in the Earth Kingdom or, or Bossing mm-hmm. Say and help rebuild it? Um and then, no, the answer is no. She had other things she had to do. Uh, she didn't create this power vacuum because she did not kill the queen. But I don't know if we want if I wanted to play like the Matt Patches role and draw a real life comparison. Please you know, we do, have to- just so I'm not alone in doing that all the time. <laughs> people hate me for doing that. We have to think about, you know, 
the U.S. or other forces taking out a dictator and then not uh-huh. doing their their due to make yeah. sure that the Iraq War parallels are yeah. right there. Yeah, exactly. I'm so cool. glad you guys are saying this enough. Here we go. <laughs> this makes me so. Happy. It doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite work. Well, that nothing would be... quite works. Yeah. Uh, I think, no, I like, think Cora, if, like if Cora had killed the queen, yes, because she had to because the queen was evil. But then, like, just you know, buggered off to be depressed for a while, and everything fell apart. That would be a better parallel. But this is, you know, mm-hmm. what we got. What we got to work with. It should so. tell you something that we can find parallels to like modern politics and Rome, like the conquering of Rome, uh, right? right. <laughs> in, oh, in the yeah, same yeah. in the same political plot. Uh, that's pretty same as it ever was Mm -hmm. well I guess that wraps things up uh, for this conversation but I wanted to end as always by asking you if there were little things in this episode that you guys really liked besides little pear pudgy huggable adorables (laughs) spirit guy um, which obviously is a big one but um, I gotta go with Fishing Village Guy talking about how he, like, named some snack after Aang. And, and the Aang pitcher was great. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> the Aang pitcher was so good. It, it endeared me to Aang more than anything <laughs> I've seen so far. Because um, I haven't seen all of Avatar, that's why, guys. Calm down. <gasps> um, but... <laughs> But yeah, so I want to see I want to see the season end with Cora coming back there, taking the like adorably goofy selfie photo, and uh, getting a snack named after her. Aww. Well, they rat. haven't done the beach episode yet uh, in Cora. We did get one in Avatar, which is kind of funny because that's a huge anime trope. Just yeah. like let's let's take a break the from beach. the plot. Yeah, let's take a break from the plot for one episode. Let's have like a fan service episode. Uh, we have never had that. that so. Oh my god, happen. Bolin would have like the zinc on his nose. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yes. So good. That would never ever have. There's no time for such a thing. <laughs> like Bermuda shorts and like maybe like a big inflatable thing with yeah. like a ducky on it. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. <laughs> that is. Hey, if Merlin can co- go to Bermuda and the Sword in the Stone, Team Avatar can go to oh, the God. beach. So you we, know, we need a Ember Island Players episode of Cora. <laughs> just waste an entire episode re- <laughs> recapping what's happened. Oh, maybe we could go to Republic City Dispatch. That could be our. Maybe maybe they do it. Maybe they'll take their go. hat to us. Uh, Devinder, something that stood out. I, I did love Boleyn's letters. I loved his flowery language of interpreting them. And then I loved the cut to their crayon drawings. It's so good. <laughs> um, and, and for me, I think I just loved a lot of the backdrops in this episode. All the art. Um, there's that scene where she's where Cora's standing on Pride Rock and mm-hmm. uh, all the stars. And, and she's kind of lit in shadows, which I thought was really cool. And again, all the wandering stuff. Um, or the scene where she's coming in towards Republic City with her um, her schooner. Is that what you call it? Yeah. The uh, starry scene, by the way, reminded me a bit of something, like some shots from the fountain. Like, this is her journey to deal with her grief and loss in a way, uh, too. Yeah. That is a, that is an applicable comparison. I need to rewatch that movie. So good. Do you love it? I love it. I what love if, it, too. Yeah. There are people, Favorites of all time. There are people wow. Who don't. I've only seen it once, and I'm pretty sure that's a movie that you have to see multiple times. Yeah. It also it's deals like, with yeah. Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, should we mention that Dave was here and then left and then came back and then Dave left was here again? Yes. <laughs> Dave was poisoned by metallic goop um, and is so dealing de- with it. So he had to bail par- early Dealing on. with a nega Dave. <laughs> yes, he's currently in battle with glowing eyes, Dave. Uh, so we miss him, but he'll be back next week, hopefully, recovered. Uh, but that's why he didn't talk much. We're not just talking over him. He's He should be okay, though. 
that wraps things up for this week on Republic City Dispatch. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Why don't we tell people where they can find us on the internet? Joanna. I am back from vacation, so you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can listen to me podcast over on Fighting in the War Room or podcast on the Station Agents. You're back from your beach episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so much zinc on my nose. Devendra. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. I podcast about movies and TV at slash film.com, and I write about tech at venturebeat.com. Oh, yeah. I was on Devendra's slash film. Yes. Oh, yeah. Go listen to the Gone Girl. Go listen to the Gone Girl episode. So good. It was good. And I'm Matt Patches, and I write all over the place on the internet. I put everything on mattpatches.com, which is my Tumblr, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, and I'm writing Cora Recaps at screencrush.com. And if you listen to this episode on a Sunday, then there's still about 10 hours left to win this really cool piece of art that we're giving away on Screen Crush. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's beautiful. I did. Um, Really cool. Jeff Dwyer drew, drew this incredible illustration, and you could win a signed copy if the times is right. Um, and yes, I'm on Twitter, uh, whatever. And until next week, everybody, farewell. Mm-hmm.